Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Ion Travel and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, the travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Ontario International Airport in Ontario, California. Uh, Loving to come from an airport, especially this one, by the way. Why Ontario? Why are we coming from this airport? Because it has an interesting story to tell. You know, when we talk about secondary airports in this country, whether it's uh, Midway in Chicago or Oakland in California or even Burbank in California, they often don't get the recognition they deserve. They don't often get the financial support they deserve, and they often don't get the traffic they deserve. Uh, Ontario is a very interesting example of an airport that was part at one point of the Los Angeles World Airports, which included LAX, of course, and a number of others. And it was sort of an ignored third cousin. Traffic fell off, uh, concessionaires left. At one point, you could have almost gone bowling at this airport. And then they did something that almost considered impossible. They seceded from the Los Angeles airport group and went independent and turned everything around. They became a really go-to airport. Airplanes and airlines returned, concessionaires returned, passengers returned, and you can get just about anywhere you want from here. And we'll be talking about that, about other airports as well uh, throughout the show, using, of course, Ontario as a role model in this way. And joining me now, the CEO of the Ontario International Airport Authority, otherwise known as OIAA, uh, Mark Thorpe. How are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you, Peter? Now, before you ever came here, you were working at DFW, so you had some some big airport experience, and also LAX. Yes, sir. Quite an interesting change and, and, and a contradiction in terms to come here. 
Yeah, you know, when I was at LAX, though, Ontario was one of our airports, so I was really familiar with it. Um, um, but most important, I, I, I really uh, looked at the entire Southern California market. So coming back to Ontario was logical for me because I really understood, you know, I tell people, um, I'm probably not, you know, probably not the best person to run any airport in America, but this one I could because I understand. I may not know much, but I know about, more about Southern California and aviation than probably anybody else. Well, what's interesting about uh, about this airport is some people might think it's well, you know, it's a smaller airport. But if you want just by runway size, any plane that lands at LAX can land here. Yeah. You got twelve thousand foot runways. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and just as important, ten million of the eighteen million people live out here in the LA base and live closer to this airport than LAX. So you're now you've got seven forty sevens on the ground here, but not because they're passenger planes, but because they're UPS planes. Yeah, and that's really you know that's um, one of the main areas where we contribute to the to the economy of Southern California is. You know, FedEx, UPS, Amazon Prime, um, you know, it's e-commerce and logistics. There's so much growth in that area and so much of it comes through here. But from a passenger experience, if you're not looking for long lines, if you're not looking for waits, if you're not looking for waiting at the curb to find another ride just to get to you to your ride, uh, this is like an old school airport. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Got a lot of the modern amenities that you want, but it, it feels like flying used to be in its golden age. But there's one thing to sit here and talk to you today in the year 2020, but a couple of years ago, this is almost a ghost airport. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just changed a lot. It, you know, it's it's a night and day difference. But, you know, for me, it, I I was never concerned joining the team in 2016 at the time of the transfer. I was never concerned that this wasn't going to happen because I've spent years looking at, at where tickets are purchased, where demand comes from. It, just because 80% of the traffic goes out of LAX today doesn't mean that 80% of the tickets originate close to that airport, spread out all over the region. Once you give people an, another option that's closer to home, closer to work, they, they'll take it. And that's what we've seen. And you talk about the transition. That was not easy in coming. You had to basically seize control back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't involved in that. But yeah, it was a long, probably seven-year process to do that. To wrest it from the control of Los Angeles World Airports yeah. and go from being the bastard stepchild to being your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of credit does need to go to the to the, the political leadership that, that made that happen. But when you think about it, when this airport really started getting into trouble, you saw airlines either cutting frequency or leaving. You saw retailers couldn't make a profit. They left. The, the guys who were running the parking lots were hurting. All the different connecting dots that make an airport work were all suffering. Yeah, and and really, you know, what happened at this airport in two thousand eight, two thousand nine wasn't any different that compared to what happened at a lot of secondary airports around the country. Like like which ones? Well, Cincinnati, uh, the Providences, you know, well, Cincinnati, especially when Delta put out uh, yeah. ended Comair. Yeah, and what happened was the the major airlines, Delta, United, American, um, uh, I think U.S. Airways was still was at the time. They retrenched to the primary airport, so it wasn't unusual what happened to Ontario. The difference was there wasn't really a response to bring back the traffic. And the thing was, I, I know what the argument was. Why do we need Ontario when people have to connect through LAN and Ontario is not a connecting airport? Yeah, except, you know, the difference is Ontario, I compared a lot to Newark and New York. New York and Los Angeles are totally different markets from the rest of the country in that you could really kind of throw a dart anywhere in the world on a map and there's probably 400 people going there that, that every day from these two cities. They're so large. There's so much demand. You can fill up an airplane just with the originating traffic. You don't need people coming in to, to make an airline, you know, a, to make a route successful. And so even the rest of the world, uh, you know, although a lot of people in the western half of the United States know where Ontario is, even if the rest of the world doesn't know where Ontario is, everybody in Southern California does. And if you give them options to fly from here, those for whom it's more convenient will do so, a and, lot like Newark. And you talk about originating traffic. That's an important distinction because if you take a look at an airport like Dubai, uh, 85% of the people who are going there are, are going through there. They're not going to there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whereas here, everybody's coming to Ontario has a reason to be here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and just as important or more important, all the people that are here that are going somewhere else. 
My experience with Ontario, Mark, was that I discovered Ontario because of fog. My plane got diverted here. Uh, one year I discovered, in the winter, of course, I discovered Ontario because my plane ran out of fuel before it could get to LAX. We got diverted here. You had a lot of planes coming here for that reason. We did. You know, over the decades, we've we've accommodated many, many, many diverted flights from LAX. It was something like a thousand planes a year. Oh, yes. For many years. Still Even, happening? Yeah. Not quite in those numbers because you have, you know, better instrumentation for, for you know, landings and, and, you know, those those weather challenges. Weather patterns have changed. Plus also, you know, weather is not the challenge it used to be. But your real crisis years were just about 10, 10, 11 years ago, you lost 40% of your capacity. Yes. Because of airlines just saying, see you later. Yeah, actually, you know, a large part of it was our largest carrier cut about 40%. Therefore, we lost. Who was that? Southwest. Right. Now they've come back. They have. They've come back with new service to Dallas Love Field. Um, They've added Midway since then. And they're starting to grow back in some of the markets that they have, bring in more depth. In other words, more frequencies each day. Now, how many million passengers are you up to now? We... Uh, finished last year at 5.5 million, and by Jan by June we'll be on track for about a about six million uh, six million every year. Now, of course, you can handle 40 million a year. Yeah, with three more terminals. <laughs> yeah, but you got the space we to do. play with. We do. We're the only airport in Southern California that doesn't have any kind of real restriction on growth. You have no noise abatement? We don't. You know, one of the things, if you look at a visual map around the airport, the, the wisdom of this city was that they planned industrial development uh, or, you know, hotels and commercial office space on three of the four sides of the airport. So smarter planning means fewer issues. And how many million passengers a year at LAX? Uh, I think this year they hit, ni- last year they hit 92 million. 92 million. Yeah. Wow. And you I worked were, there when it was 57 at one point. We always we always said it was planned for 79 million because of the freeways. So the, the challenge in the airport industry, airlines for network economics, they'd love to have everything go through one airport. But the problem is when you own and operate the airport, you realize that the freeways never grow in, in, in tandem with airports. You can add terminals, you can add, you know, you can expand runways. But if you can't, if you can't, you know, it's, it's like the, the size of the fire hose, um, you know, determines how much water is going to come, you know, come through to fight the fire. And you can only put so much through to that to any airport with with the freeway capacity you have. Well, considering growth and capacity limitations, I don't see them adding eight more lanes to the freeway. No. <laughs> and even if they did, by the time they completed it, they'd still be full. Yeah. Or the horseshoe. You know, look, the bottom line for me, oh, the horseshoe at LAX. Yeah. Oh, please. That's a that's terrible. It's just absolutely terrible for me. I mean, if I can tell everybody what's going on, if you land at LAX, you got to go schlep your bags and then get on a shuttle bus and go to another location before you can even get a ride. Or if you do what I do, wink, wink, I have friends of mine who pick me up at the departure level where nobody's up there and there are no cops and I go home. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, I always tell people, I worked there eight and a half years. I love that airport. It's one of the great airports in the world, but it was not meant to be uh, as, as, as busy as it is. I mean, you just, you, my dad used to say, you know, you're stuffing 10 pounds into a five pound sack. That's kind of what you're doing with it at LAX. It just wasn't built to be as busy as it is. And yet they keep, they keep adding. Well, we're trying to convince airlines to, to look at Southern California another way. That there's other ways to, to be competitive, other ways to have market share. And, and most important, to have happier customers and, and more repeat business. Than well, most. any idea of high-speed rail from Ontario to LA? Uh, what we've what we've t- has been talked about quite a bit has actually been high-speed rail from Orange County out to Ontario Airport, or from the the new line that Richard Branson's involved in the land in Victorville from Vegas, bringing that down here. We would love to see something like that happen. And is it possible? I think so. I thought that's that's pretty pretty far away. What we've looked at instead is some um, 
bus services, you know, with Wi-Fi and leather seats and some, we're, we're looking at actually. And heavy alcohol. <laughs> well, the thing about it, coming to Ontario in the morning, you know, a good example, I live in Irvine. As I said, heavy alcohol. Well, no. but it's so fast, you don't even have time to have alcohol. Oh, stop with that. <laughs> it is. I live 40 miles from here. I come here to work every day in 45 minutes. I, I, when I leave, when I fly, I shouldn't say this, but I flew out Monday, had a 7 o'clock flight, flight, left home at 5.15 and had plenty of time to get on the plane. That ain't bad. Nope, not at all. So which of the air, you now have an airline coming in from China? Taiwan, yeah. Taipei, yeah, China Airlines, yeah. And every day. Yeah, and that, in fact, it's actually it actually outperforms. You know, they were we were all surprised. I was worried that number one, that you know, Taiwan market, which is so limited, I was worried that that was our first Asia service. Number one, number two, it was the seven triple seven three hundred, which I thought was just too large. Um, are they filling it? They are now. They struggled at first. They went to an A three fifty, but the issue wasn't wasn't the size of the aircraft. It was they had four connections outbound. They switched their schedule five months into the service and up to, up to twenty connections over Taipei. And they've been off to the races since. They get about a three hundred, well, two hundred sixty dollar, to be exact, uh, premium in business class, and about a forty forty five dollar premium in economy class. People pay more in Southern California to be able to use that flight just because it's more convenient. For Out somebody. of this airport? Oh yeah, because they're they're originating here. They're from Southern California. They know how convenient it is and how difficult it is to go to the LAX flight. But is, at the same is time, that your model now for attracting other international carriers? Yes, and even domestic airlines. I mean, one of the things we tell the Delta, you know, Delta United American Southwest is you bookend the basin by giving people more options. All right, so there, and you've got the Cates, and you've got the capacity. We do. And now you have customs. We do. My next guest is a Los Angelino, born and raised, and uh, I actually came to Los Angeles when I was about 21 years old working for Newsweek, so I'm almost an Angelino, but I, I would guess that both of us have had similar experiences at a place I almost live at, uh, LAX, and his name, of course, Tim Conway Jr., who's got his own radio show on KFI Radio right in Los Angeles, and if the name sounds familiar, it's because he's the son of one of my favorite people ever, who we sadly lost recently, and that, of course, was Tim Conway. Tim Conway Jr., welcome. Hey! You ding dong with you, Peter. Come on. <laughs> but right, so you want to talk about Los Angeles International Airport, right? Where do we start with that place? Well, right now I've got nothing but problems with it because of their new rule about uh, getting a ride from the airport when you land. That is just you know, put yourself in the in the in the shoes of a family of four trying to go to Disneyland or, or going to Hollywood, and you know they got bags and kids, and they get off a, a long flight, and now they got to schlep bags on a bus to take a long bus ride to stand on another long line. This, by the way, after they maybe clear customs, and then go. So they're adding between thirty and forty minutes to their experience, and that's their welcome to Los Angeles. Right, and not only is it an additional time waste of time, but they have not rolled this. You know, they they recently rolled this uh, nightmare project project out right before Thanksgiving, which is a good idea because LAX is not really that crowded during Thanksgiving. <laughs> and then they have not yet had the, 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 uh, the opportunity, uh, or actually I should say the uh, disadvantage, of having people stand outside in 118 degrees come summertime. There's no shelter in those lines. There's no air conditioning. There's no vending machines. There's nothing. I mean, it's a very archaic way. Plus, 
They've also prevented the, the taxi cabs from picking up at the curb uh, as well. And the taxi cab, the re- reason to take a cab is, is convenience. You pay a little more, but it's convenient. I agree with you. So I, I understand, I think, why they did it because of the congestion and the famous horseshoe. But at the same time, they're doing the exact same thing for different reasons right now at LaGuardia in New York. It's pathetic because of the construction there. And let's call it what it is. LaGuardia is a wonderful, convenient congested airport. And now they're spending a few billion dollars to build a bright, gleaming, new, all beautiful congested airport. And in the process of doing that, when you land at LaGuardia, you got to get on the same shuttle bus with the same shuttle driver that you had in LA to take you to a remote parking lot 20 minutes away. And again, it's 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 a schlep parade. Right. Well, that's that's why these big airports are eventually going to go out of business. Uh, LAX, uh, about another eight years, and then they're done. But the reason why <laughs> I, like, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, a week before Christmas vacation, I called my wife and I said, hey, when are we leaving? Because we usually fly out of, out of Burbank to uh, Portland. And I said, when are we leaving what day and she said i thought you made the reservations i said no i thought you did so five days before christmas the whole christmas rush we have no reservations so i looked up online lax was a nightmare i'd rather not go on vacation than go through lax burbank was too expensive and i saw that there were there was a, a sweet deal out of ontario airport so we booked the ontario airport it's 45 miles from my house but it's the same time distance because of the congestion of lax actually it's ontario is probably even uh, quicker to get to even though it's more miles it's quicker to get to because there is no traffic. I booked the, the, the ticket, saved about $1,200, and I got parking for $8 a day because I paid in advance. And I happened to park about 80 feet from the terminal and no traffic. Uh, I went through TSA. There was three people in front of me and got in there, sat down in a beautiful airport, and, and, it, it, and it actually adds to your vacation, your experience. You don't want to come home uh, for, you know, to an airport where it makes you miserable. So I say these smaller airports are the way to go in the future, and you're going to save money, you're going to save time, you're going to have a much better experience. Well, it's been said that the best airport is the one you don't remember. Um, yeah, that's true, right, huh? Yeah, well, think about it, right? Uh, right. People, people always ask, you know, how is your flight? And what's interesting is most people then start talking about the airport. Um, that's right, that's, yeah, and even that, think about that. You always ask people how their flight was. You don't ask how the airport was. But I, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to eat or go to any of the lounges at an Ontario airport. Again, I don't get paid by Ontario airport. I'm just telling the audience, the, I, the one loyalty I have to my audience is to not lie to them. And when I tell them my experience at Ontario airport, it's 100% true, and it was great. You know, they, uh, I'm sure you've flown in and out of Portland Airport before. They also have yeah. a great airport. And I don't understand for the world why the people who run LAX don't send four or five of their top guys to Ontario Airport or to Portland Airport, put them up in a hotel, and let them walk around for five days and find out what they're doing at those two airports that they're not doing at LAX. Well, my philosophy about airports is the same philosophy about hotels, which is the same philosophy about airplanes, and that is no designer of an airplane interior or a hotel room or an airport should be ever paid for their work until they've been forced <laughs> to spend three days at the airport, at the hotel, or in an airplane. <laughs> Because if you've been in the bathroom of a Boeing 737 now, the only people who can get in that lavatory are cast members from Cirque du Soleil. And (laughs) it's true. I I challenge anybody listening to this show to go into the lavatory of a Boeing 737 and try to wash your hands in the sink. You will need orthopedic surgery. You can't do it. Right. Plus, you don't want to touch anything in those in those little uh, you know in those in those bathrooms. Uh, and, exactly. And then there, and then there's a there's a whole uh, there's a whole series of things you should not throw down the toilet. Right. 
There's, uh, you know, no uh, napkins, no sanitary napkins, no cigarettes, no food. Uh, you know, there's about nine things you shouldn't throw down there. They should have a sign of feces and say only. That would, uh, it would wipe out the entire sign. <laughs> Yep, I'm I'm with you. You know, I my mean, dad used to uh, he he a uh, big fan of traveling, and he, he said he was you know when you sit down in one of those uh, toilets on on, a, on an airplane, you got to hold the door, uh, you know, so nobody <laughs> opens up because the doors are so flimsy. But then you run the risk of some big guy pulling that door open and he yanks you off the toilet and right out in front of 200 people. <laughs> You know what? In the age of everybody having a cell phone video, I'm looking forward to that. I am absolutely looking forward to that. That's great. That really <laughs> but is But you cool. know what? You what, what you bring up, though, Tim, is, is important about just basic common sense design and common sense function. And when I, look, I was at the Tucson airport the other day. It works. I was at the Albuquerque airport. It works. Uh, you know, the airports that, by the way, and they all have long enough runways, they can handle it. And the same right. thing happens here. It, it actually works. And and uh, so I'm glad you had you saved 1200 bucks. I'm glad you had uh, uh, parking at 8 bucks a day. And uh, I'm glad nobody yanked the door. Right. And the food was great. The food at Ontario Airport is, is beautiful. talked about earlier in the show the sort of roller coaster experience of, of this airport's development its uh, its challenges and now how it's coming back big time um, you know going from being sort of a forgotten secondary or, thir- or tertiary airport to now being uh, an airport of choice for originating traffic and uh, joining me now is somebody who's tracked this herself uh, and she's been in the airline business as long as I've been covering the airline business Uh, starting in uh, Northwest Airlines in 1983, for those people who remember Northwest Airlines. I do, uh, back in in Minneapolis. And then uh, moving on to American Airlines, where she is now the Senior Vice President for Los Angeles. Suzanne Boda, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Peter. Do you miss Northwest? Oh, I miss all the all the other airlines, yes. (laughs) Oh, what a a lovely political answer. But I, I actually miss Northwest. I remember, I remember Project Fugu, Remember Project Fugu? Very well, indeed, yes. For those people who don't know what that was, you know, we live in a world of hub and spokes. Northwest figured out they got so much great slots in, in Japan in the 50s when it was called Northwest Orient Airlines that they figured out they could, they could connect the world through Asia by stopping in, in, in Tokyo at, at that point in Narita. And uh, they were able to have every flight come in. It was like an old railroad roundabout. Every airplane read in and turn around. We're talking seven fours in like 45 minutes to an hour. It was remarkable. And the reason why they called it Project Fugu was because Fugu was a very delicate Japanese poisonous blowfish. And if and you could only be a licensed Japanese Fugu uh, chef to be able to, to serve it. Otherwise, people would die from it. So this is a very delicate operation, which Northwest actually pulled off. And uh, I'm glad, I'm, I don't have no idea why I brought that up except... It was a remarkable thing to do. And talking to you now in Los Angeles, because you're you're doing all of Los Angeles, which means your operations not just at LAX, but, but in the old days at Burbank, uh, Long Beach, and of course right here in Ontario. Uh, I'm going to ask a stupid question, and that is, you really do need these other airports, don't you? Um, you're right, Peter, we do. You know, our obviously our biggest focus is at LAX itself. But because the Los Angeles region is so large and diverse that we 
have to maintain a presence at uh, the, many of the region's airports so that we can serve our customers in these markets. So we serve eight airports throughout Southern California, and um, in addition to LAX. All right. You got to name them. Okay. We have San Diego, Orange County, Long Beach, Palm Springs, Ontario, of course, Burbank, Santa Barbara, and LAX. Wow. To me, I love Santa Barbara Airport because I think their their lounge is one rocking chair. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably right, but it's a nice one. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, And, you know, you were around long enough to know, you know, and to experience, you know, the ebb and flow here in Ontario. Most definitely. And, um, you know, I've been involved with the L.A. market for a number of years, quite a number of years, in fact. Um, And right now, you know, Ontario is very important to American Airlines. And as you know, we operate 12 daily departures from Ontario and we serve our two, uh, two of our, our largest hubs. Obviously, the largest is Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport and uh, Phoenix Sky Harbor. And, um, you know, by connecting people over those two hubs, we can, uh, we, can, we can get people to pretty much anywhere in the entire world um, out of that Ontario airport. Well, you know, considering the sophisticated algorithms that every airline has, you can very much track your connecting traffic and and understand why it's not just point to point and why, you know, people living here want to go to London, they can. And people living here want to go to Tokyo, they can. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, we can do that. Out of Dallas, we operate more than 900 daily flights to 224 destinations in 30 countries. And that is just a one stop from Ontario and certainly an easy access point for our customers. Now, given the capacity of this airport, uh, given the, the, the population base in the Inland Empire, uh, it sort of goes against, I'm not talking about American, but so many of the major carriers' initial philosophy of we want to just move people to LAX or we want to just move people to JFK or we want to just move people to DFW because that's the best connecting for us. Um, Have you changed that philosophy? Um, Not really. Um, Peter, I think, you know, our focus for the growth in the market is really at LAX. And, um, you know, we operate 208 daily flights here, and we're really the only airline with nonstop service to five continents out of LAX. Um, it's very, very important that we are here in L.A. in this way, but it's also because of the breadth of the region, it's very important that we actually serve uh, these regional, uh, our regional um, airports in this market as well. So um, I think, you know, we, we actually most recently uh, just announced and have started service, um, uh, returned our service, I should say, from Burbank to Dallas last year. So um, that was, you know, a new route that we We've been looking at, we look at all of our markets here in the L.A. region, um, not only LAX, but all of the regional airports. And, uh, you know, we certainly, we don't have anything to announce today, but we certainly are always looking at opportunities for expansion in these uh, other markets as well, because they do serve a a very big purpose for us. You know, you were talking about service from LAX to five continents. I really thought you were going to announce nonstop service between Ontario and Antarctica today. 
Oh, Antarctica. That was the one. Yes. No, <laughs> no however, um, as you probably know, and I know you know this, um, this October we are launching new service from LAX to Christchurch, New Zealand, and it's the only direct route from the United States to New Zealand's South Island. So we're very excited about that expansion as well. And I'm assuming that'll be on a 787? Uh, that is a 787, yes. Yeah, I love it. I, actually, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be flying with you from Chicago to, to Honolulu on a 787. The last time I flew Chicago to Honolulu with American Airlines, it was a DC-10. <laughs> That's um, been a little while, so I'm glad you're now on the 7-8 going out of, out of Chicago. That's going to be a nice flight for you, I hope. Exactly. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's, uh, we were watching some of your planes come in today, and they were leaving full. I'm just giving you a full report here. Thank you. We appreciate that. And, and, one, day certainly... you and will, one day you and I will get together for drinks and uh, talk about Northwest Orient. We can do that. That, that is definitely my era. So thank you. <laughs> yes, thanks, Peter. And, uh... <laughs> my era, too. Suzanne Boda, the American Airlines Senior Vice President for Los Angeles. Uh, my next guest knows a little bit about the history of this airport. In fact, he's a city councilman here in Ontario and also basically is the executive board member, Poobah, everything on the actual airport council. Alan Watmer, how are you, sir? I'm great. I mean, this is a case study, if you will, of an airport that was sort of left to fail and was failing. And then people in the community said, wait, this is our airport. We need to turn this around. And you did what was nearly the impossible you seceded from LAX. And it was difficult. You know, a little bit about the history of our relationship. For 50 years, we had a positive relationship with the city of Los Angeles. And what happened? And what happened is the administration changed, the executive director changed, and for whatever reason, they started perceiving Ontario as a threat for competition with their own airport. A threat or just a pain? Not sure. All I know is that they weren't taking care of us. We had the um, highest fares in the country, the highest cost of doing business for all the airlines, the highest budget of any airport our size, and they weren't utilizing any of the tools that they could do to bring that down. And you couldn't get out of that. I mean, you couldn't get around it, right? You were stuck. We had a contract with them for whatever reason. Councils in the past actually um, gave. Not, a, not on your watch. I wasn't here. <laughs> and I'm not here to second guess them. Let's just say they gave uh, title to the city of Los Angeles. And again, you know, we were succeeding. They reached a high of 7.2 million annual passengers. But all of a sudden they dropped as low as 2.5 million annual passengers. In what period of time? Um, probably about five or six years. That's, that's a lot. It, it really is. And then when we started digging in, the way it started is I was attending an L.A. airport commission meeting representing the city of Ontario. And I started hearing talk around the table of why are we helping Ontario? Their competition with us. We have additional capacity. And frankly, as soon as I left that meeting, I called my city manager and I said, we're getting the airport back. Because you, you, the, the writing was on the wall. It was, and we've always recognized... The writing was already on the wall, actually. Well, we, And we finally recognized that. And we tried to work with them voluntarily to give us back their airport, and they just refused to do that for whatever reason. And so we had to pursue other means. 
I mean, you sort of were damned if you did and damned if you didn't, but you had to figure it out. Well, certainly we've always considered Ontario the economic generator, not just for the region, but pretty much all of Southern California. We recognize we're the only airport in Southern California that has no constraints, whether they be political or physical. And everyone was going to have to use Ontario International Airport at some point. And how did you finally do it? Uh, It took a lot of negotiations, but really what came down is there was a new administration, Mayor Eric Garcetti. He sat down and we chatted, and then actually Senator Dianne Feinstein got involved. Can't tell you why, but for whatever reason, she (laughs) loves our airport. We had a meeting with the three of us. Uh, Senator Feinstein said, you know, I've negotiated world treaties before. This should be easy. Asked the mayor of Los Angeles, what are you looking for? Asked me. She goes, okay, we're done. And unfortunately, it took a year for the lawyers to work out the agreement, but we worked it out. And you had to pay them. We had to pay them, but really reimburse them for the actual expenses that they paid to bring the airport up to where it was with the two new terminals. But even so, once you did that, your actual costs went down. Well, what we did is we implemented a business plan that we had actually recommended to Los Angeles. Um, Ontario Airport has about 800 acres of developable land, and in 50 years, they never developed a single acre. And we knew that if we could generate revenue from that, we could leave and, and, and bring the budget down so that the airlines could then pass the savings on to the, to the passengers. Okay, so the obvious question is, now that you've done that, how are airfares doing here? Airfares have dropped considerably. We've picked up new air service, some exi- uh, existing airlines, and added a lot of new airlines. In fact, what surprised us the most is that we were able to get daily nonstops to Taiwan from China Air right away which shows us that there was a pent-up demand all along that wasn't being allowed to be fostered. And you could draw from all over the Inland Empire to get people to come here as opposed to driving all the way to LAX. That's absolutely true. But more than that, we're bringing in from North Orange County from the San Gabriel Valley as well. So you're not just sort of a stepchild alternate airport. You become now a primary airport. Well, absolutely. And in fact, on the cargo side, which is extremely important, we are now the largest Uh, outgoing cargo airport in the country we overtook uh, uh, Atlanta airport really because you got UPS out here we have hubs for UPS and for FedEx and Amazon Prime amazing Alan Wapner city councilman airport extraordinary member thank you for joining me thank you for coming we appreciate that and good luck as you expand it even further thank you you've been listening to Peter Greenberg worldwide catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. 
Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.